0: Blob Talk
1: Radio Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your host, Susan Weed. My name is Daniel Michael, the founder co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network. And we'll be right back as we await Susan in the queue. And this song is from Kellyanne after the plug.
2: And the ones listed
1: blessed are we... Green Medicine with your hostess, Ms. Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, the founder and co creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network, along with my good friend Mr. Kevin Baird, who co founded it with me. He was actually the one that helped inspire the name Main Street Universe. But this show is called Green Magic Green Medicine, and it's a show. There are a few shows on the Main Street Universe Network, and this is one of them every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and I see Susan is there, so I'm going to go ahead and
0: bring her on.
1: Welcome, Susan.
0: Green blessings. How are you in this glorious day? Oh, it was an incredible
1: day. The weather here in Virginia was fantastic, and <laughs> I got to walk around in it a bit, <laughs> so... Yeah, not rainy. It was raining a bit, but today was more sunny and in the felt like in the,
0: I don't know, 70s, maybe 80s at some point. And nice day. Yes. Yes. Uh, what? Let's see. What did I sing in my singing lesson this afternoon?
2: June is busting out all over.
0: <laughs> I didn't know you took singing lessons. You didn't? I got to a point in my life where everything was perfect, and I said, uh-oh, because I had been around the wheel of karma enough times to know that when everything is perfect, the next thing is it's gonna, the agents of change are at your door, right. and I used to relate to the agents of change. When I would you know, sense them coming or see them coming, I would go in my house and lock the door because I thought that was the way to protect myself. And that, I would never feel safe enough doing that. So I'd go in my room in my house and lock my door. But that usually wouldn't feel safe enough either. So I'd pile some furniture up against the door, and then I'd go and lock myself in my closet. And often that didn't feel safe enough either. So just in case I made a sound, I gagged myself. And often I would blindfold myself, well, you know, that made not the slightest difference to the agents of change. They knocked down my front door. They knocked down my bedroom door. They destroyed my furniture. They knocked down the closet door, and they drugged me, blindfolded and gagged, and threw me off the cliff. Right. And I thought all this destruction was due to the agents of change until I learned to open the door and walk out and greet them.
1: Exactly. The best way to deal with that situation. But
0: but Ungagged, unblindfolded, my house is still there when I want to come back to it. I have not wrecked it. I just have to, you know, go jump off the cliff. And so I looked at my options for jumping off a cliff. And one of the questions that I asked myself about what the nature of this cliff that I intended to jump off might be was, were there any things that I really liked to do that the people around me really did not like me to do? (laughs) <laughs> and if so is there any way to narrow that gap and I love to sing and I was the child who was told you couldn't carry a tune if you had two buckets right <laughs> right I was the high schooler who said we want you to be in the choir and then when I got there they said could you please just meld the words we needed another tall girl in the back row <laughs> So I decided I was going to take singing lessons, and I asked around the community, and the answer was absolutely unanimous that there was only one person I should take singing lessons with, Gordon Cook, who had sang and danced on Broadway and was the heir apparent of one of the most famous voice teachers in the theater circuit in Manhattan, and that Gordon himself had taught people whose names you wouldn't know and people whose names you would know like Barbara Streisand yeah so I called him up and I said hey I'd like to take lessons with you and he said I don't have any openings but I'll call you when I do and after a little time had passed he called me he had an opening I came in he said what do you want out of these lessons I said I want to learn to sing on tune I want to learn to sing the right way and he looked at me he said I cannot teach you that I can only teach you to sing with your own voice And if you come here for singing lessons, we are going to take away everything that is not your own voice. Well, i got to tell you, 25 years, we're still taking stuff away.
1: (laughs) It's been 25 years, eh? (laughs) i
0: have been doing this for 25 years, yeah. (laughs) He said to me today, he said, do you think we're in an ivory tower? I said, build it higher. Why not Why not focus in on the minutiae and the detail of the difference in the way that a sound is made or a vowel is made and how that expresses emotion in the singing? Mm-hmm. I would guess, although I never play guitar, that there must be a similar thing in how you pluck or strike a string.
1: Oh, absolutely. The subtlety... And honestly, sometimes the silence means a lot. Having breaks, having silence, in the case of singing, catching your breath, in the case of guitar, just letting it—you don't always have to attack the instrument the whole time. Do a subtle instead of being like i I'll give you an example. Instead of being like da 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 da, you know that's obnoxious, right? It could be like
2: dun dun dun
1: dun dun dun, dun. You know, and you kind of and you just kind of you have breaks and accents and parts where you come in and out, and and just sometimes you gotta rest. There's another thing.
0: I often use that actually as an example when I'm talking about um, patterns in the body. That if you listen to your heart, and it's going Sum, thump Sum, thump, some thump, some thump. That's a healthy heart if it's going thump, 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 thump. I said that's jazz guitar. It's not a heart.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, right. The rhythm shouldn't be that broken.
0: Not for your heart.
1: For for jazz, yeah, fantastic.
0: Fantastic. So, in my break between my blog talk show and your blog talk show, or my blog talk show and my blog talk show. Um, I sat down with brand-new Time magazine and uh, started reading an article about the drug industry, which is just
2: <gasps>
0: totally breathtaking, totally breathtaking. You probably heard about the f- firm that raised some drug price, like uh, 2,000% or something, right?
1: I have. It was a court case. The guy was kind of flippant and arrogant in court and all of that sort of thing. It's-
0: Right. So now the question is what's going to happen? Right? Even in the wake of this, and I quote from the article, an industry that enjoys remarkable advantages and even more remarkable profits is unlikely to be regulated anytime soon. In fact, Valiance tactics are a common industry practice, and at least 14 different pharmaceutical companies, including them, have made similar price hikes in recent years, the difference being only in degree. Last year, all drug makers averaged together increased the prices of their brand-name drugs by an average of 16.2%, and that's on top of an average price increase of roughly 10% for each of the past five years. And counting. In 2011, the average out-of-pocket cost for a brand name prescription was $36. By 2015, that same prescription was $44. The biggest drug companies post profit margins that are incredibly enormous. AbbVie, 23%, Amgen 34%, Biogen 36%, Gilead Science 46%, by Walmart, by comparison, Walmart 3.5%. Hmm. These are the biggest profits of any industry. Oh, yeah. And U.S. total spending on drugs has raised 12% just over the past year. The thing that we have to understand, they say, is that the rules of supply and demand don't apply to drugs. It's not a rational thing like that. Sick patients aren't normal consumers, and therapeutic drugs aren't normal products. You know, we can, like, shop for a hand soap, but usually most of us completely lack the knowledge or even the desire to compare the cost and quality of various medications. We just just want insurance to pay for it, and unfortunately that insurance paying for it (coughs) <coughs> Excuse me, shields us from the real impact of a drug's price, and this drives up spending overall. It gets even worse if we're talking about a life-threatening illness or a disease, a rare disease for which there's only one drug. One of those rare diseases, Wilson's disease, a rare inherited disorder, has only one drug that treats it, a drug that was developed 30 years ago in which Valiant bought, and they boosted the price by 3,200%.
1: Wow.
0: Berna said her copay for the drug was $700 a year last year, and for the coming year, it's projected to exceed $10,000. Hmm.
2: That's
0: a lot. It even gets crazier when it comes to Medicare because. By law, Medicare has to cover every cancer treatment approved by the FDA no matter how expensive and basically the drug companies get to tell them whatever price they want. It's true. Bringing a new drug to market is expensive. It can cost more than two and a half billion dollars. But let's look at one drug, Humira, it's an anti-inflammatory drug. It's extremely popular. Since 2005, AbbVie has made $53 billion from the sales of it. By 2020, they expect the drug to deliver $18 billion per year. You would think that the patent should run out on this drug and we should be able to get a less expensive generic version of the drug. It is true. The patent expires in December. But the CEO of the company said that 70 additional patents have been filed. To keep the drug competition-free, any company, and I quote, seeking to market a biosimilar version of Humira, will have to contend with our extensive patent estate, which we intend to enforce vigorously. Over the past five years, they have increased the wholesale price of Humira by 138%. What's the problem? Well, it's really interesting. The problem is good old Capitalism. Because drugs really aren't part of capitalism. When capital flows into the drug industry, it starts to distort it. So capitalism is a very sound idea. I say, hey, I want to make this business, and I need $4 million, and I can't do it alone. I'll sell you shares, and you'll get profits from those shares. And so people give me capital. And then we compete in the free market. And if I'm a successful computer, then we all get profit. And if I'm an unsuccessful computer, then we all lose. And, of course, that's called the stock market. But because drugs really, as we said, don't, don't go by these rules, then what happens is these very high profits attract Huge amounts of investment capital. And as more and more investment capital pours into the drug industry, from 2012 to 2015, more than $50 billion in new capital went in. The industry shifted its character because research and development takes a long time and it's uncertain, and shareholders don't like that. So instead, the companies, the drug companies, have turned to hiking prices. For 20 of the biggest drug companies, and I quote, 80% of shareholder earnings were the result of price hikes. You'll have to finish the article yourself. That's all that I got to read. It goes on. Time magazine this week. Read all about it. What's happening with the drugs? out there and why I'm awfully glad that there are herbs and that those herbs are simple and easy and right around us. I also found that some of the statistics in the article were a little alarming, but perhaps needlessly so. So the total prescriptions dispensed in the U.S. in 2015 are 4.4 billion. That's an average of about 14 prescriptions per American which at first seems like 14 different drugs are being prescribed for every single American, but is isn't quite like that. Because I ask a couple of people, like, do you take prescription drugs? Yes. And how many? And how often do you get refills? Because that has to count refills, too. And some of those prescription drugs, you have to get refilled every month. Because they only let you have a month's supply. So that's 12 right there. And then if you're taking another drug that they give you, like, Two or 3 months supply of, you're already over the average of 14, so we don't have to worry about all the babies who supposedly, well, of course, we know it's an average. doesn't mean everybody's doing that. 50% of Americans take a prescription medication daily. I don't find that scary enough, because when I talk to nurses, what they say is the vast majority of people over 60 are taking five to eight medications daily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not saying we should get rid of all the medications, certainly, you know. Berna with the Wilson's disease, herbs probably couldn't affect that at all. Herbs can't do absolutely everything. Drugs are needed. But there's a lot of things that herbs can tr- do where drugs aren't needed. M- many of the drugs that people are given can much that work much better be done by herbs. And you know that I have several other radio shows that I do besides these blog talk shows. I do a show for HealthyLife.net and a show for Time Monk Radio. And in Time Monk Radio, I've been doing a very long series that's covering over two years of half-hour weekly shows on the seven medicines. We've talked about the seven medicines a little bit, you and I. All right? Serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, lifestyle medicine, alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and high-tech medicine.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I must admit that when I talk about the seven medicines, I spend about 95% of my time talking about the first five medicines, right? serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, lifestyle medicine, and alternative medicine, and then I have not a whole lot to say about drug medicine, and from pharmaceutical medicine, and surgery or intrusive medicine, high-tech medicine. And so doing these shows has really pushed me to look much more closely and much more deeply with what is happening with drugs and what is happening with people. And so in these shows, I am actually going into the major things that we're being given drugs for anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, cholesterol, sleeplessness, antibiotics, which we're looking at here on Main Street, and really talking about um, what are the problems associated with those drugs and what herbs can be used instead. So for Listeners who want to go a lot deeper. You and I have such a good time on this show. I usually keep it pretty light. But there at Time Monk Radio, like, we get kind of heavy. So anybody who wants, like, the heavy version, that's a good place to go, especially if you're interested in this thing that we're talking about with drugs. And the drugs here that you and I and all of the listeners are... uh, hoping that we can avoid our antibiotics.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know that we did half a show on astragalus, and then we did berberine, and I think we're going back to astragalus. Is that right?
1: Yeah. And yeah, you know, berberine, astragalus, and this. Go ahead, yeah.
0: Well I, well, I wasn't clear from my notes if we had completed our talk on astragalus.
1: Um, well, I got the feeling you were going to return to it and return to herbal antibiotics in general. And, and in maybe, general, like, and especially astragalus. to astragalus. Like, All well, right. Yeah, like the tail end of
0: that. Let's return to back. astragalus. And if we repeat ourselves, well, you know, it's the essence of teaching. One of my co-teachers got very concerned the first time he had to retell a story. He said, oh, my goodness, I've told this story before. And I said to him, you know what? The essence of a story is in telling it again and in hearing it again. When you were a child, did you say to your parents, read a new book to me? Right. Right? No. I mean, all parents get driven crazy because the child chooses one book and will only have that one book. Apparently, I had some Bugs Bunny favorite, which I made them read millions of times according to them. So astragalus is a member of the pea and bean family, it's Huangqi in Chinese, it's an absolutely huge genus with about 3,000 species, but the species that is primarily used is astragalus membranaceous, and it is indeed grown in quantity in China. Astragalus is grown in the United States, and you can find it. It comes in different forms, depending on who has grown it, but it's an item of commerce, and it's pretty easy to get it, either cut and sift, powdered, or in what herbalists call the tongue depressors, the roots that are sliced on a diagonal that come in from uh, China. The, The plant is perennial, and the rootstock is long and fibrous, and that is why it is thinly sliced and dried. That slicing at the diagonal from top to bottom is kind of an old oriental approach to herbs that rather than cutting it the way most westerners would cut a carrot, chop, 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 right across that the cut on the diagonal unites heaven and earth. And that brings the energy of the top part of the plant into the preparation of the medicine. And so creates a harmonious flow between the yin and the yang, between the cool and the hot, between the dry and the damp. And that's what astragalus is really there to do. It's an adaptogen. We talked about adaptogens, how they help us to adapt. It's cardioprotective. It protects our hearts. Again, stress hypotensive prevents high blood pressure. It's an immune enhancer, modulator, and restorative. It literally helps us stay alive. It enhances the function of the lungs, the spleen, and the entire gastrointestinal tract. It is one of the world's great tonics. Tonics are part of lifestyle medicine, and they make everything work better. There's an interesting thing about in terms of distinguishing them from nourishment. In, in my books, I rather than use the seven medicines, I have the six steps of healing, and this step is nourish and tonify. And nourishment is something that happens in a single instance. So if someone gives you a hug, do you still have that hug after it's ended? You do, don't you? You have cool. that experience, you keep that experience, it's in your memory, just so it's nourishment. You, get, you drink half a glass of nettle infusion, you have that nourishment, nobody can take it away from you. Right. But a tonic has to be repeated. If I go out tomorrow and run 10 miles, I kill myself. <laughs> but if I go out tomorrow and run half a mile, and do that twice a week for the next 10 weeks, I will have improved my cardiovascular fitness without killing myself because it's a tonic. It needs to be taken in what herbalists call a broken dose. And the idea of the broken dose, which is so important in tonics, has led to a lot of interesting confusion about herbs and herbal medicine. I have had people tell me, well, you can't drink metal all the time because it won't work anymore. And I say, oh, so you can't eat, what, any food? You can't eat green beans all the time because then they won't work anymore? No, these these are nutrients. This isn't what's happening with the tonic. We want to set up a regular rhythm, and that rhythm, just like we were talking about at first, right, the heart going thump-thump thump, thump, or the nervous system going, "Mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, or the hormonal system going, ah, ah, we don't want a jazz guitar there. We want a smooth rhythm, and so we use those tonics in a rhythmical way. Now, that rhythm can be in a variety of ways. I live in the Catskills where there's still wild ginseng, and there's still people who know where it is. And here's what they say. When you get yourself some wild thing, you take a piece the size of the last digit of your little finger, and you put it in your mouth, and you chew on it for a month. And that the ginseng you have for that year and next fall you can find another ginseng root and do it again now one of the interesting things about this is this ensures that you have to share your ginseng root with other people it also ensures that very little is used and that's used with great care and respect because this is a plant that grows as far away from people as it can possibly get and not in very large patches when it is found So as a tonic, we wouldn't want to take it two or three times a week unless we had a specific condition we were taking it for. So motherwort is a tonic, and it's a great tonic to the heart. And people with specific heart issues take motherwort on a daily basis, and that's a rhythm too, in the morning, every morning but people can also use it in acute situations and we wouldn't need to use a repeated dose. Again, it would be effective for the dose response and then we don't need to go further with it. So if we were using astragalus as an antibacterial, an anti-hepatotoxic, an antiviral or a diuretic, if we were using it to specifically potentate the immune system during chemotherapy, then we would use it in far higher and far more frequent doses than if we were using it to protect our heart, enhance the function of our digestive tract, and overall help our immune system. And once again... We have managed not to finish our talk about astragalus. That's because it's a very important herb, and that's just fine, I think. So we will come back to that next week. It's a very exciting week for me. Goats are coming back to Laughing Rock Farm, and we're going to be going in a couple of days and picking up our goats, which is doing the last little touches on the barn, um, my singing teacher is making the feed bin, Gordon's making the feed bin, and, and so we were consulting on what kind of finish, and was it going to be painted, and what color paint. So those last little touches are being put in place, and then the goats will be here. And I wish you were close enough to come and celebrate with us. We're so happy to have goats back here. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to enjoy life with you and to enjoy life with all of the listeners with whatever's new and interesting from the 100 periodicals that I read every month to what's old and interesting from my wonderful library of herbal books. Thank you for supporting my quest, my desire, my goal of returning herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine because our birthright is herbal medicine. It's the medicine of the people, by the people, and for the people. Green blessings, everyone.
1: All right, and thank you. A green blessings to you, Susan Weed. And thank you. It's been four or almost five years now, I think, you've been with us, and it's been a blessing to have you.
0: It's a, a wonderful time. Let's hope it continues on and on. So everyone, because, you've been with- because there's never an end to the knowledge that we can learn about Earth.
1: Mm-hmm. You can study one plant the rest of your life. <laughs>
0: but and you are certainly finding that out, being in the position where you are in that health food store, huh?
1: Yeah, it's uh, yeah. All these, I learn something every day. I also learn what some of the the funny parts of alternative medicine are, as well as the good parts. You know, it's it's a it's a, it's always learning experience, back and forth, back and forth. You know, it's 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 an interesting thing.
0: What I really uh, appreciated about working in health food stores was also a real crash course in what doesn't work.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Susan.
0: Green blessings. Good night, everybody. Till next week.
1: Green blessings. You've been listening to Green Magic, Med, Green Medicine, with your hostess, with Susan Weed. Have a good evening. Forbidden Archaeology. Forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more, right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network.
2: Ain't anything,
0: you could just think it.